Good afternoon and welcome to Dateline New Haven on WNHHFM, New Haven's home for community radio. And in this part of the hour, we're going to be talking about passing the torch at one of New Haven's great nonprofits. A nonprofit defines who we are as a community in so many ways. Iris is um, Immigrant and Refugee Services in New Haven. Actually, I missed one letter there. Immigrant, Refugee... Integrated. Integrated. Yeah, I want you to put your mic close. Integrated Refugee Immigration Services. That's a fancy way, Iris, of saying the place that we welcome immigration and refugees in New Haven will become a national model. We've shown so many other communities how to do it well with compassion and humanity. And on the ground, like with specifics, how you involve hundreds of people in your community to welcome hundreds of people, newcomers to our country, and how to... Um, and uh, We'll get into specifics how we become part of the Welcome Corps, actually a national destination. The federal government looks to us and sends people our way because of our success in doing this. Well, Chris George built that all up over 18 years. And now he has stepped aside. And Maggie Mitchell-Salem, hi Maggie, is remotely with us through Zoom. Chris is here in the studio. Is taking over on January 1st. Big role, big transition. Happy to hear about it. So Maggie, tell us how you feel about uh, taking on this new trip and where are you talking to us from? So right now oh, I'm, I'm not in, hearing her, I'm sorry. Hi there, uh, hi Paul, hi Chris. I'm in Tunisia and um, I am, how am I feeling taking over this role? A little overwhelmed, honestly. Um, Chris is such an institution. So it's kind of big shoes to fill. But you haven't seen my feet. My feet are quite large, and I apologize. I I have dogs, and occasionally they talk back. And they look kind of fierce to me, at least the one you have in your hand. This is a twelve-year-old blind Tunisian rescue. She was abandoned. Really? The one that's making all the noise is about two years old, and the queen of the roost. Interesting. I know when you think about dogs that they develop smell and hearing. You know, kind of wonders what they lose without the ice set. I don't know. But that's a philosophical question for another day. Where um, where are you speaking to us? Oh, by the way, were you going to mention how big your heels are? I thought we'd get a Nikki Haley moment here. We talk about your foot size. <laughs> uh, you know how much I would love a Nikki Haley moment. So um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm talking to you from Tunisia. I'm actually sitting next door to a Carthaginian amphitheater. Um, and I will control that dog's barking shortly. Um, and so Tunisia, and that's where I'm coming from. And Chris is amazing. He's an institution, a legend. And so, you know, the worst kind of person to be taking over from. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I want to get, actually, let's get that right off the top. Um, <laughs> often institutions, uh, especially nonprofits or places of worship or even companies, when someone is so identified with building up something. So Chris obviously is not the only person that have for Iris. We have like so many hundreds of people in New Haven actually are part of Iris. You know, they go yep. on the marches, they sponsor families. In our synagogue, we have a whole team. But Chris kind of made that happen and people think about Chris. And so often in institutions, when someone has such an imprint, when they leave, it's hard to step in, as you mentioned. People, things were all done a certain way, they say a certain way. So if you do anything different, they kind of say, well, Chris did it that way. Or... You know, times change. If Chris were still there, Chris would do something different. Chris reinvented that place five times, right? But when you have to do it because money comes a different way or people come from different countries, how do you how do you approach that so that you can have it? And I've seen it done well, by the way. The synagogue Amin did it well recently after 20 years. So how, how do you do that? 
Well, first, I think it starts with having a really good relationship with the person you're replacing. And I've got to say, mm -hmm. Chris has been amazing. So that's number one. Number two, the board has been incredibly supportive and so have the directors. Um, and next, I think it's the community and the community has made me feel really welcome, even in these initial weeks. So I think that is part of it, making the person who's taking over feel like this is a smooth uh, process and a process in which they're supported um, in order to continue at what's been working so well. Another part of it is just me. I don't, my ego is in mission, not in whose name is on something. So the fact Chris has done an amazing job to me is fantastic. Like I want to find out how to keep doing an amazing job. And then the things that I bring, maybe um, some extra depth on communication, um, I'm sorry, on what? Experiences that I've had, you know. Extra depth on what? I'm sorry, I missed that. Communications, um, mm -hmm. like working on communications and also uh, on development. So, you know. So those are those keywords for like how you talk to the press or talk to people in your community or talk to your staff? Are you talking development? Is that about raising money or? Yeah, all of the above. I have past experience in this and that's maybe what I can help contribute but again, it's building on what Chris has already done. That's been so amazing and exceptional. Mm -hmm. So right now, where in Tunisia are you talking to us from? I'm in Carthage, actually. Carthage. Okay. Carthage. No elephants. Um, <laughs> and um, and so you are currently the mm -hmm. senior resident director for the National Democratic Institute? Yes. I since am. 2020. So you have a team that works on governance to address citizens' priorities. Does that make sense? And that you uh, spent, that's what we try to do. Yep. yep. So you spent most of 2020 supporting refugee resettlement in Baltimore. Yeah. The Lutheran Immigrant and Refugee Service. So they're kind of they're kind of the iris of Baltimore. They're yeah, they are the iris of Baltimore. Um, I guess in some ways they parallel church world service in that they mm -hmm. help pass through to member um, Lutheran and other faith-based communities. And what's been so interesting to me in getting to know Iris is the fact that it grew out of, you know, a, a faith-based initiative, mm -hmm. but it's become something that embraces all and is completely secular, which is... So it's kind of interesting, that secular feeling of embracing refugees. You're right, because everywhere I go, I was just in Tulsa, everywhere the resettlement grew often out of faith-based. In New Haven, a lot of Chris's partners are my synagogue, a lot of churches, a lot of synagogues. Even in Tulsa, it was the synagogue. But I think that since 2016 with Trump, tell me I'm wrong about this, maybe a little earlier, like when Mike Pence was saying no as part of this new kind of hard right rejection of immigrants, that embracing yeah. newcomers to our country has sort of become a secular faith or value system of its own. What do you think, Chris? I mean, do you think in addition to faith-based national partners historically in this, there's sort of a faith that isn't a religious faith necessarily, but just as equally a civic values-based faith? about how we're a stronger community if we welcome people and help everyone be part of a community as a part as opposed to um you know closing our doors or closing our faces yeah. to people that that's definitely something that we've tried to promote over the years uh to to emphasize that this is an american tradition of welcoming it is it is, it is it's not something that should be monopolized by by any particular faith or, or just by people of faith. I mean, card-carrying atheists are welcome to, you know, join the Iris movement of welcoming refugees. So, um, you know, we've got symbols that, that 
uh, that emphasized the Americanness of this. Uh, the Statue of Liberty poster mm -hmm. of Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein was a refugee, and and we have found that that inclusive approach has 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 really worked. I mean, thank you for all the kind words, <laughs> Paul. But this community, New Haven, and actually Connecticut as a state, was ripe for supporting refugee resettlement. Shame on us for you know many many years not engaging the community uh, as much as, <clears throat> as as we have. But since I realized, hey, this is a program that should not be operating in the shadows, should not be operating you know under the radar, but instead should be out there. And, and I just know so many people who just felt like individuals. I'm thinking in my head right now mm -hmm. who wanted to do something about yes. what they felt was an important issue. How can I make a difference? And it just mm -hmm. became a, a useful way to say, I can contact Iris. Yep. And Iris has something I can do. Mm -hmm. I can get to know this family and drive them to the doctor's office, help them mm -hmm. with their bank account, help them get food, help their kids get in school, just kind of connect them to our community. Yeah. And that builds public support. It builds, it builds a, a public understanding of refugees and what refugee resettlement is about and the the, the, the horrible ordeal that refugees have, have gone through and, and, and what they have given up, that public support is often more important than financial support. And, you know, we saw with a previous administration that was not an administration friendly to refugee resettlement. So we need the public to step forward and to say, we want to welcome refugees. So that administration wasn't friendly, but you were doing the work, and so all these people who were upset about that got involved. But now the government works with you as a welcomes community, correct? It's, How, a, it's so, a collaboration. So l l let me ask you, Maggie, what happens if the president who was president during that other period becomes president again? How do you see your role at IRIS then if the government is going to, again, close the door to refugees and not want to support it? I think it's what Chris said. It's that communities are now engaged, that you don't have to wait for the federal government to make a decision. You can decide as an individual, as a group of friends, as a synagogue, a church, um, a mosque, a you know friend's meeting house, that you want to help. And I think that that is the strength of our democracy. The strength of our democracy has always been kind of the push-pull. And so when the federal government won't push, we pull. <laughs> and, um, so when Chris took over the organization in 2005, it had a small Worcester Square office, $500,000 annual budget, eight staffers, 150 new arrivals a, a, a year into New Haven. So Maggie's handing you a $12 million a year organization, 138 staffers, 8,000 square foot Goatville office, which does have good coffee right on the block and beer. <laughs> That's brewed there. <laughs> And um, plus a Hartford outpost and thousands of volunteers to help resettle 1,000 people per year. Would one challenge your job be, I'm just trying to put myself in your shoes, how do you oversee so much bureaucratically? And obviously bureaucratic's a mean word. I just mean like you got a lot of people, forms, responsibilities, management. When you have that many staffers and people coming in, someone's always going to have a personal crisis in their life or some workplace issue. How do you do that and also be high personal touch with people to keep it a real human job where you're actually meeting the refugees, meeting the volunteers and 
and not just being stuck at a desk filing forms. How do you how, how do you get to navigate that challenge of a human organization? No, I'm not sure. I, I, we're bursting at the seams in New Haven. I'm not sure I have a desk, which is fantastic. I don't want a desk. Um, mm -hmm. My job is to be out and about. It's exactly what you said. And you know, I have found throughout my career that you know having a strong management team, which Chris does, you know, a strong leadership team. Um, you know, getting to know them, getting to know what they need most from me um, is going to be my priority. And then making sure over, you know, in the short run that the staff in both locations, um, the staff in both locations know um, who I am, um, see me, see that I'm engaged, but that the management team is responsible for the programs. Um, and so I, and for the administration and for the finance and for the fundraising and for the amazing advocacy work. So leaning on them, trusting them and taking priorities from them. I know we have refugees from all over the world in New Haven. I got the sense 10 years ago, maybe they were more often coming from places like Syria because of the civil war there. And I, am I wrong that now we're seeing a lot more Afghans in the last five years coming to New Haven? Is that accurate? Because after the Taliban took back over, is that true, Chris? Any numbers on that? Definitely, definitely. The the largest number uh, in terms of nationality has been the Afghans since since 2021, uh, and they're still coming in large numbers. Um, Afghans, Syrians, and Congolese are the three top nationalities. And the Syrians have been waiting for you know some of them more than 10 years. <laughs> Afghans are coming from a, a, a fresh conflict. And you can actually tell um, the Syrians are a bit more relaxed, maybe even have expressing a, a more of a sense of humor. They fled their country 10 years ago. Afghans are still getting text messages and phone calls from their relatives and friends who are stuck in Afghanistan or made their way to Pakistan and can't get out of Pakistan or maybe flew to Brazil and have traveled overland. South America, Central America, cross the Mexican border and enter the United States without any benefits. So it's it's a real mix. But I know some of the Syrians have gotten quite established with businesses mm -hmm. and they have fraternal groups. Is that true? That they kind of mm -hmm. that, that kind of nice part of the immigrant story where communities strengthen each other and build up in a way that strengthens the whole city. Have you seen much of that with Afghans? I know that they're like Clemente School, Truman School, a lot of Afghans go there, correct? And they actually have people mm -hmm. who speak the language. And I got a sense of optimism from the people working in those schools about the um, approach those families take to the education, that it's a very positive, um, eager approach to education. The parents are very, very into education. They see education as the, the, the future that, uh, for their kids. It's the key to the opportunities that this country offers. And parents are usually insistent that their kids do their homework they're interested in their kids getting really good grades and that's that's why they come here and then we're at a moment where there are a lot of jobs here have you have you looked into that at all maggie I mean, we just had an, a, 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 something like eighty-six thousand jobs are going begging in new haven now i mean connecticut and a lot of them aren't requiring college degree maybe some training have you thought much about that how you can approach that matching people um, I've thought a lot about it. I need to have a better understanding of what's actually happening uh, in terms of employability, but that skills gap, and especially for some immigrants, they come with degrees or accreditation 
but transferring that and valid in the U.S. is a concern. And so I know the team is working on that. I just don't, I can't tell you, Paul, right now um, exactly what I would do, but I think the current labor market is a great opportunity. And it's also a great opportunity to tell, like you're saying, the story of refugees, right? How much they contribute, how much we need them. This isn't, I think sometimes people look at this as a one-way proposition, right? We do for them. and what they're missing is the what they do for us, not just in terms of taking jobs or having skills, but that that connection, right? That learning about someone else and where they're from and what their challenges are, it has an impact on and us. Bringing new ideas and energy to a community. I mean, that's always been the story of why we love New Haven. Chris, before we go, any parting advice you have for Maggie as you fully <laughs> step? Because I understand you've been to New Jersey kind of remotely helping during the transition, correct? Mm-hmm. Maggie starts January 1st, she'll physically be here. And he, what's the biggest piece of advice you give Maggie about taking over Iris? Maggie comes from working in a part of the world that has written the book about hospitality, the Middle East. So let that shine, let that come through. Our job, our middle name is welcome and hospitality. And if we do everything with that spirit, the services for refugees, welcoming volunteers to be part of our program, then she'll do great. I I have no worries at all. She'll be just fine. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much, Maggie. It's nice to meet you over Zoom. Look forward to meeting you in person in New Haven, January 1st, taking over Integrated Refugee and Immigrant Services. Did I get that right? Yes. Iris. Iris, the word that makes us feel proud to be New Haveners. Paul, if I don't have another chance to thank you for all your support over the years, let me do it now. Big thank you. I'll give you a hug and a kiss when the show is over. All right. You've been a terrific support for refugee resettlement. Well, thank you for what Iris has done to make New Haven feel proud that we can not just bitch about the world, but we could be a positive force in making a better city, a better world. How should people get involved? Iris.org? Yes. IrisCT.org. Don't forget the CT, or else you might get like LASIK surgery. (laughs) IrisCT.org. Thanks to Harry Droz behind the... uh, the controls getting us through the multiverse and so many platforms we're gonna take it out with the afro-semitic experience performing i wish i knew how it feel to be free from the group cd a plea for peace this is paul bass inviting you to fly free with us all day all night and all thanksgiving long on wnhh new haven's home for community radio <laughs> <laughs>